live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. And now there's a beach ball on the field. And the ball boys are discussing which one of them's going to go get it. This is the Press Box. I never realized how boring this game is. Tyler Bischoff. Expired. 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 Adam Candy. I have literally no idea what happens in Candy's briefs. I've just been told that it's good. ESPN Las Vegas. Ed Graney is at the Final Four. Adam Candy filling in today. Uh, I got a question for both of you. Is April Fool's Day the worst fake holiday of the year? Mm, Valentine's Day. No, Valentine's Day doesn't doesn't bother anybody else. Like I've got to wake up this morning and see David and Joku have an April Fool's Day joke by tweeting that he's instructed his agent to go trade, get him traded. That's just stupid. Nobody cares that's, about David and Joku trade requests. That's not even a like. That's not even like a joke. That's just like okay. Good luck. It's, it's stupid. And then he comes back and says, April Fool's, and I'm staying right here. It's just it's dumb. It's stupid. And I think the combination of April Fool's Day and Twitter makes it dumb. If you're going to pull like an actual in-person physical prank on somebody, that might be acceptable. But the, Twitter, the better, the better question is this. Why are you following David and Joku? I'm not. Other people got got by David and Joku. That's the problem. People don't realize it's April Fool's Day, and they retweet David and Joku. Uh, all right, that is painful on its own. By the way, Jared had the right answer. It's Valentine's Day on fake holidays. Should I go to the first bite? Is that you what sure? Doing? Okay, well, it's hard. I can't read your faces. The first bite. <sighs> Why is Brian Cashman upset? This is a tease. Oh, sorry. The first bite is brought to you by Cofield oh, and Company man. Podcast. You blew your own sponsorship yeah. deal. Uh, this is a tease like 21 hours in the making from the end of yesterday's show. Uh, Yankees general manager Brian Cashman told The Athletic, I'll, I'll just I'll read the quotes here for you. The only thing that stopped us, speaking about getting to the World Series, was something so illegal and horrific. So I get offended when I start hearing we haven't been to the World Series since 2009 because I'm like, well, I think we actually did it the right way. Pulled it down, brought it back up, drafted well, traded well, developed well, signed well. The only thing that derailed us was a cheating circumstance that threw us off. All right, Adam, Yankees fan, Adam Candy, does he pile on the hatred of the Houston Astros for cheating the Yankees out of a World Series appearance? Or is he so annoyed with his general manager that he's actually going to have to side with the Astros today? So... There's no getting around the fact that the Astros are a cheating franchise that should have an asterisk next to <laughs> its World Series. Like, there's no question about this. Like, I, I understand everything that Brian Cashman is saying because the, it's been documented, proven, etc. So, Tyler, I've, I can fulfill that for you. I can fulfill defending Brian Cashman for feeling like he had something taken away from him. But shut up. <laughs> Just shut up. Or to quote you talking to Alex Rodriguez a few years ago, shut the F up. Uh, why are we talking about this now? A and why are we talking as though that's the reason 
that the Yankees haven't won a World Series. Really? That, of all things, is the thing you want to point to? Yeah, it happened. And it sucks. And you probably did get cheated by the Astros. So did the Dodgers. But you know what? It doesn't matter now. No one wants to hear about it. Why are we talking about this? Why are you sounding like a kid who lost the science fair because someone's dad was an engineer? Like it's crazy. Like it's insane to me. I I know you probably expected me to cape up for Brian Cashman this morning. I can't do it. I can't I can't even get close to it. And I don't want to steal all of your thunder here because I imagine this must have you foaming at the mouth ready to go. So maybe I should just give you the floor. Well, no, I wanted to ask you a question as a Yankees fan because I've I've actually I think the majority of online response to this was similar to yours and that is people saying for brian cashman to shut up like get get over it and it, it's been a it's been like five years and b that was one season of 12 that they haven't been to the world series but my my main question for you because brian cashman is upset that they didn't go to the world series in 2017 because of the astros and that either means a he's assuming that the Yankees would have then beat the Dodgers or B he's saying that it would have been a success to simply lose the world series as opposed to not get there. And I guess as a, as a Yankees fan, would you feel better about Brian Cashman today? If they had lost to the Dodgers in the 2017 world series? Absolutely not. Okay. Do you think I care th- uh, about getting to the world series as a, as a Yankees fan? It's fun. Don't get me wrong. I, like it's a lot more fun than watching Joe Girardi stumble around and miss the playoffs. But at the same time, I know that the New York Yankees have higher goals than that. So no, it doesn't help me at all. But I don't know, Tyler. Part of the tease from yesterday was that I was assuming that by the time we got here this morning, you would have a list of statistics so damning against the Yankees <laughs> that we would have all the ammo against Brian Cashman we ever need. And instead you got shut up. Uh, so here's the, my, this is probably my second favorite part of the Astros cheating. Obviously my favorite part is that they won the world series, but this is probably my second favorite part where we have gotten to a point where Brian Cashman, the general manager of the Yankees can complain about the Astros cheating and Yankees fans, including Adam Candy, get mad at their general manager for complaining about the Astros cheating. It is phenomenal. And I and here's the other thing, Adam. You're not a Yankees fan. But I feel like if you told the rest of the baseball world, hey, we can annoy the Yankees and make their general manager irrationally angry if a random team cheats one year and keeps them from going to the World Series, I think the rest of the baseball would take that. So in reality, the Astros are the real heroes of Major League Baseball now. Yeah, I'm not uh, surprisingly not willing to go that far, but it, it's the it's the nature of the quotes here, right? If Cashman wants to complain about the Astros cheating, banging trash cans, and you know, subverting the game, go for it. I have no problem with that. We all agree with that. That is the one thing all baseball fans can agree on is that we hate the Astros, but. When it comes to how you talk about it and saying, well, we haven't been to the World Series, and I'm like, well, we did it the right way. First of all, everybody knows you didn't do it the right way entirely because that's why we're still hearing news stories about what's in the Yankees letter that might come out that's been in court 
recently about what you know did they have an apple watch were they stealing signs that way like the red sox did so let's not get all high and mighty when it comes to that secondly while you've got andy pettit and roger clemens and the rest of the hgh group out there let's not (laughs) let's not get on our moral high horse so when you go that way and say, oh, people are like, oh, we haven't been to a World Series. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's as true a statement as it could be. No, it is. It's absolutely a true statement. So the Astros, as you mentioned, Tyler. Heroes of, of baseball. Uh, you know, right. Sure. That is what you mentioned. One year out of 12 that they did not make it to the World Series. And if you want to make it two years since the Astros beat them twice, sure. That sounds good. We, I, I'm sure that at some point the heroes of baseball will have Jose Altuve's buzzer in the Hall of Fame. But to talk about it this way, as in, well, we should get an, an asterisk for a positive for getting to the ALCS when we should have gotten to the World Series, that's ridiculous. Um, Adam, if I did something that you would describe as illegal and horrific to you, and it impacted your career... Would you keep coming on this show with me? Likely not. Because Brian Cashman uh, signed Marwin Gonzalez, who was one of the guys that used the trash cans the most. And Carlos Beltran was not only a Yankee before 2017 when he went to Houston. He then came back as a special advisor with the Yankees. And this year he's going to be in the Yes Network booth calling Yankees games. I would have to imagine if it was illegal and horrific, you wouldn't want to associate with the people that did that illegal and horrific thing. I thought about it as soon as he put Beltran up in the booth. I mean, not that he made that decision all entirely by himself, but yeah, I mean, the Marwin Gonzalez thing, look, that's the business part where you got to move on. You have to, like, I understand they didn't sign Carlos Correa. There were obviously bigger reasons for that. They think they have shortstops in the pipeline. God bless. We'll see what happens. Uh, but Brian Cashman really just should not be talking about it this way. It, it doesn't make any sense to me, Tyler. Uh, but by the way, since you brought that up, have you contemplated what that would be? What what you plan to do to to my career? No, that's a good. I should have thought about it. That would have been. I more just fun. I didn't know like yeah. what like what you were gonna like. Were you gonna try to tell everybody that I'm you know I'm not really from New York and this whole thing's been a bit the whole time? Like... <laughs> no, I was actually thinking more of ruining your referee career. I oh, think that, could, that might oh. be more fun. Yeah, I don't. I you don't think know how so? to. Yeah, right. Wouldn't it be getting a whole crowd of people mad at you or something like that? That's kind of what the point of refereeing is, but yeah. <laughs> is that the point? I don't think that's the point. I think that's uh, I mean, it, it is a baseline feature that doesn't <laughs> seem to bother me a whole lot. So, you know, no big deal. I just thought it sounded like something you would put some thought into. So I wasn't sure if there was maybe a plot that, you know, you were willing to give me a little hint about. Like, I, I assume you're used to this whole idea of career killing. I mean, Jared tries to do it to you every day. <laughs> All right. I have one more question on the Yankees part of this and Brian Cashman. Is this some sort of like defensive response to criticism Brian Cashman has got this offseason for not spending enough money or getting the right players? Like, is this him, I don't know, worried about his job security and just lashing out being like, well, I'd have a lot more job security if we had gotten to the World Series in 2017? It's not about it's not about job security. Hal Steinbrenner has made clear that with every bean he counts, he gets more in love with Brian Cashman. The, the, the 
Yankees ownership at this point cares only about the fact that they keep getting to open the stadium and print money. That's it. Hal Steinbrenner talked this offseason about how part of the reason they didn't sign Carlos Correa or Corey Seager is that the pandemic had been really hard on everybody and they had banks and, and shareholders to answer to. Imagine just for a second, if you're a baseball fan, think about George Steinbrenner, his father, ever saying that we didn't sign somebody because we have shareholders to answer to. George Steinbrenner thinks that you answer shareholders by winning World Series. Hal Steinbrenner wants to send a dividend check. So, no, I don't think Brian Cashman is worried for his job. I think Brian Cashman just doesn't like the fact that the Astros cheated and is lashing out in a really dumb way. I'll give you one stat before we go to break. In 2017, the New York Yankees had a 3-2 lead in the ALCS going back to Houston for Game 6 and 7. The Yankees scored one run over the course of 18 innings and lost the series in 7. Coming up next, can the Golden Knights beat the Seattle Kraken again? And is Mark Stone finally going to get back on the ice anytime soon? Hutton keeps it in. Pacioretty deals across to the right, intended for Patrick. Check tightly, and now it's out in front. They score! Pacioretty to Stone, and the Knights lead 5-1. to one. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff featuring Adam Candy. The Golden Knights are back in action tonight, taking on the Seattle Kraken. Back-to-back games in Seattle for the Golden Knights. They won 3-0 on Wednesday, and they'll likely need to win tonight to keep their playoff hopes alive. Uh, L.A. got a win last night in overtime, so catching the L.A. Kings becoming more and more difficult. Uh, Adam, who do you think actually starts in goal tonight? Is it Robin Leonard for the first time? Well, we had Darren Millard basically tell us it's going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to assume Robin Leonard has to get back out there because this is the lowest stakes situation. You can put him back out there and try to figure out if he's ready for the postseason because the Seattle team, yeah, they played a good first period against the Golden Knights the other night, but th- they are punchless. So that would be a good time to get him out there. It would be kind of funny if they put Leonard out there and all of a sudden Seattle just dominates and has like 55 shots. Yeah, I don't think that this team could have 55 <laughs> shots, honestly. Like, those who said, oh, well, the Kraken is going to be another Golden Knights. Ooh, boy, no, no, not even a little bit close to that. <laughs> All right, so Mark Stone is still on long-term IR. Uh, we don't know how close Mark Stone is to coming back, but the Golden Knights did try to create some cap space by trading away of getting to Donoff at the trade deadline. So there is at least an assumption that maybe that meant they thought Mark Stone would be coming back before the regular season ended. Now, they also moved Riley Smith to long-term IR and activated Alec Martinez. So maybe that could have been a plan if it was just for Mark Stone, but that was for Alec Martinez. But because of that Dadanov trade, the Golden Knights, if they wanted to bring Mark Stone back, if he was healthy and ready to go, they can't do it without making another roster move. The Athletic, Jesse Granger, went through some possible options here as to what the Golden Knights could do in terms of bringing Mark Stone back from long-time IR, where they could find the salary cap space to do for, or excuse me, do so. The first option, which would be hands down the funniest option, the funniest thing the Golden Knights could do, 
And that would be to still trade Evgeny Dodonov because that would still clear $5 million in salary, assuming you don't bring any salary back, which I guess they might since they were going to with the trade with Anaheim. But you can trade a player after the trade deadline. The issue is that that guy can then no longer play the rest of this season, regular season or postseason. There's, you know, 10 to 15 games left for most teams. If you're trading them to a team not in playoff contention, they're probably not going to care too much about that. But obviously it wipes out a bunch of teams that would potentially trade for Evgeny Dodonov because he, he can't play for them. Why would they have any interest in that? So if the Golden Knights traded Dodonov, and then they'd have to send a, four guys down to the AHL as well, guys that we expect to be in the AHL, Jonas Ronberg, Jake Lecision, Daniil Miramanov, that would create $8.3 million in cap space and the Golden Knights would have enough to bring Mark Stone off of long-term IR. Is it even possible that this organization, that this front office, considers trading Evgeny Dodonov right now? Absolutely it is. This is the franchise that traded Marc-Andre Fleury. Yes, of course there's a chance they do it. Now, should they do it? No, Dodonov is one of the few offensive performers they have at the moment, and... Uh, Jesse Granger quoted Pierre Lebrun, who had texted a few general managers and found out that the cost of trading Evgeny Dodonov would be at least a first-round pick <laughs> attached by the Golden Knights in order to do it. So should a team with a 47% chance to make the playoffs tr trade a first-round pick for the privilege of being able to shed one of its only reliable offensive performance? Probably not. It's still, man, you go back to the the trade they made initially with Anaheim, that was such a bad trade. I mean, they they were giving up a second-round pick and taking on a contract of a guy named John Moore who wasn't going to play for the team, but for some reason they weren't going to put on long-term IR and was going to eat into their cap space. Like, I still can't believe they thought that was worth it, like that they thought the, the two and a half, three million dollars in cap space they were going to create was going to be worth it to not have Evgeny Dodonov on the team. But by the way, how is it... How does it cost so much to get rid of Evgeny Dodonov? Like, yeah, he's making $5 million. It's not like, and he hasn't been great this year. But it's not like Evgeny Dodonov is completely useless. The guy's a useful hockey player. How does it cost so much to get rid of him? I, I understand now it's post-trade deadline. The Golden Knights have zero leverage. But how was it a second-round pick and taking back salary before the trade deadline with Anaheim? Because why should anybody help the Golden Knights? That's all it is. In the end, it's it's another franchise bailing them out of their situation. I get it that you're saying Dodonov is a good player. It, yeah, he, he was a 15-goal scorer at the time of the trade deadline. Good, not great. And what, what does Anaheim need to take that on for? So they need to be sweetened for it. It's not like they were offered, you know, I don't know, Michael Hakarainen. <laughs> and then give him right back. You, you only get him for like a week. That's, only, that's like a Chris Beard appearance, right? You get him for a week, and then he's gone. <laughs> it's all that Michael Hakarainen and Chris Beard. Yes. Only on this show. Love it. <laughs> uh, all right. The second option to get Mark Stone activated would be to play somebody else on long-term IR, and that somebody else would be Max Pacioretty. If you put him on long-term IR because his salary is $7 million, and then you send Pavel Dorofeyev down to the AHL, that clears almost a million more dollars, and now there is enough room to bring back Mark Stone for the rest of the regular season. This is the option that probably makes the most sense with one asterisk to that 
what's the hell situation of Max Pacioretty and also of, of Mark Stone, right? This was essentially deciding, well, we think Mark Stone can play and Max Pacioretty cannot, or at least we think Mark Stone can play more games to finish the year than Max Pacioretty. That's the one that does the least amount of damage, I guess, to the team because you're just simply swapping a guy for another guy on long-term IR. It's kind of a one-for-one trade. Sorry, Pavel Dorofeyev. But it again, it's the answer to that we don't really know because we don't know the actual extent of Patch Reddy or honestly Mark Stone's injuries right now. No, and we're not going to, and we have to just kind of roll with that. Uh, I think, Tyler, my question back to you is this. We're talking about moves that you make in order to try to get the Golden Knights to the playoffs, right? Because we know you throw the shackles off once the playoffs begin. So doing anything drastic doesn't seem to make any sense here for a team that pretty much has a coin flip chance and the Golden Knights do not control their own destiny, right? This is going to be up to Dallas in the end uh, or maybe Edmonton as well. So for a team that all year long had finally started to kind of even out to its numbers, right? Like years and years, we talk about Corsi 4 with this team. They're so good with puck possession. They're so good with dominating shots and yet they would always run into somebody in the playoffs who could stop them. This year the stats kind of broken apart a little bit, right? Like for the season, yeah, they're sitting around 10th and Corsi four percentage, about 10th and expected goals four percentage over the last 25 games though, 10th in Corsi four percentage, 21st in expected goals for, um, can blame some of it on the injuries, but you also have to say, is this team a team that you're going to do anything drastic with to try to make the playoffs? Cause do they have any chance if they get there? They can, they can be the Vancouver, the Dallas, or the Montreal, though, right? Logan I'm asking. Is- no, I'm seriously. I'm asking. I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest otherwise. <laughs> I'm saying, what do, we, what do we think are the prospects for this team if they actually make it? Yeah, so the problem for the Golden Knights is that if they get into the playoffs, well, okay, if they get into the playoffs as a wild card team, I don't believe they can do anything because their first-round matchup is going to be Colorado, and that's as Daryl Sutter has said, a waste of a week, a waste of eight days. So if it's a wild card spot, I would think absolutely nothing. If they get the three seed in the Pacific, if they sneak ahead of Edmonton and they get the Kings in the first round, and I mean, even if they're, I mean, I don't think they're getting 100% healthy at any point, but even if they're, you know, get a couple of guys back, it's not that crazy to think they'll beat LA in the first round. And then you get Calgary in the second round and, Maybe there's more guys that come back. Maybe not. At this point, they probably lose guys in the LA series, to be honest. So I, if they get in the Pacific because the division's not good enough, I don't think it's that crazy to think they're in the second round. And, and if they get a few guys back, I don't think it's crazy to think they can beat Calgary in the second round. Like, it's not like the Golden Knights have a – it's not like the Golden Knights don't have talent. And the problem is that talent's been hurt, and they haven't had it for a while. But if they get some of it back for the postseason when they don't have to worry about navigating – the salary cap, they can beat LA, and I, and I certainly think they can beat Calgary if things go right for them. I mean, it's it's hockey. The Montreal Canadiens went to the Stanley Cup final last year, and now they're horrendous. So, I think it's possible. I think it is worth them uh, doing if if Mark Stone can come back and play for whatever uh, the last eight games of the year, and you're you're pushing for that playoff spot. I think it's worth it to do something. Maybe not drastic, not trade of Guinea Dodonov in a first round pick. But it's worth it to bump guys off the down to long-term IR or wave somebody like Laurent Brossois or whatever it takes to clear that space to get him back because the team's got talent and the sport's kind of dumb. You don't have to be the better team to actually win a playoff series. 
Team's got talent. Sports kind of dumb. Been the first yeah. five years of Vegas Golden Knights hockey right there, kids. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Coming up next, we talk to Ed Grady from New Orleans. Thanks, guys. One other thing. It's been great working with you guys in the press. You've been fantastic all over the country. All right. Florio, you can write what you want. It's okay. <laughs> This is the Press Box with Tyler Bischoff and NSMA Nevada Sports Writer of the Year, Ed Graney, featuring Adam Candy. Joining us from the Final Four in New Orleans is Ed Graney. Hello, Ed. How are you? Fellas, how are you doing this morning? Good. Where, where are you right now? I am sitting in the media room at the Caesars Superdome waiting Jay Wright, who's about to talk. Oh, are we are we interrupting Jay Wright's press conference? No, Jay Wright doesn't go on for a few minutes, so he will be uh, in the room next to us saying that Kansas is the greatest team that ever existed, <laughs> and he yeah. will not know how to beat them. <laughs> is uh, is Jay Wright and the rest of the coaches at the Final Four, are they more on time than Kelly McCrimmon for press conferences? Uh, they are exactly on time, and they leave exactly when they're supposed to leave. So if they say ten, if they say Jay writes ten to ten twenty, at ten twenty, even if he's in the middle of answer, I think he leaves. So they uh, do not stay around for any longer than they should. But they are directly on time. All right. Uh, who who have you talked to? What what has been the highlight of your short trip in New Orleans so far? Uh, got in really late last night, so the uh, guy I've talked to that I really liked was the gentleman at the hotel who pointed me in the direction of the walk to the arena. So it's been been a been very very good so far. So uh, yeah, just got actually just walked in here, just got here. All right, give me some predictions. Who's winning tomorrow? I believe Kansas and Duke will win. I I don't like to say this, especially back to the Las Vegas station, but I just have a weird feeling Shashevsky is going to win the whole thing, and. I'd prefer Kansas, but um, I, I just have a weird feeling. I have a weird feeling they got this far, and he's going to find a way, and all of Las Vegas will turn off their TVs and swear at their TVs and go crazy and throw things. If I was at home with my remote, the remote you gave me, it might go against the wall as well, but I'm here, so I can't throw things. So, Ed, before I ask you a basketball question, when Tyler wasn't here last week, uh, we, we quizzed you on how many of the bands at the Final Four concert you knew. Uh, right. It starts tonight. Are, are you planning right. on going out and checking out the Final Four Music Festival with Macklemore and all the other guys that you don't know? Yeah, I might go down there just to be uh, taken, actually educate myself on people I don't know. Although, I didn't know if you gave Tyler the same list. I was just happy. Like, I thought I was, like, completely out of it. But then Kathy Soto seemed to know less than me. Oh, so that God. actually made me really, really happy. It was brutal. Uh, Cassie, brutal. I think, got, like, one plus maybe. Like, it was it was yeah. absolutely awful. I'm giving her credit on Khalid because I said it wrong. But, yeah, oof. All right, so, who, Ed. Who, yes. was, who, was the, uh, who was the one that Jared was disgusted with us? Well, Jared's always disgusted with us. Trombone but I, Shorty. Uh, and Arcade Fire. Okay, does t- Tyler know I? No, of course not. I don't know. Trombone Shorty is not a real band. Come on. Okay, okay, good, good. Because I wow. was laughing when they said that. I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Um, all right, well, 
Jay Wright's about to talk to you in a few minutes, Ed. Uh, he has absolutely no chance to beat Kansas, and everyone's against him, and, and the world is against these teams. So if the world is against all of these teams, then how, how do any of them actually win? But Villanova is without its second leading scorer in Justin Moore. Are they really the team that, that can't win? I mean, I think they're the team that can't win. I know, like, Moore's out, which is huge, like 15 points and, like, five rebounds a game. He's really huge. That 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 stinks for them. And, I mean, you know the team, so, you know, the guards like Gillespie and people like that and Caleb Daniels, they've got to score more than they usually do. So, and the other thing is, I don't know, I mean, Kansas just has been the most, like, non-talked-about number one seed I can remember in, like, decades. Like, nobody's talking about Kansas or even players like Ajabi and, and really good players that they have. So I, I just think Kansas is going to win. I just And like I said, I want Kansas to win on Monday night, especially if it's Krzyzewski. But I, I have a feeling Kansas is going to win only because no one's talking about them, and they're really, really good. And I just, you know, I just have a feeling that Justin Moore being out really hurts them. Will this be a bigger story uh, historically in college basketball if Mike Krzyzewski and Duke beat North Carolina in the Final Four to win the national championship, will this be bigger than when they upset undefeated UNLV in the Final Four and then won the national championship? Wow. That's a great question. Oh, I think I this, you know, he doesn't need it. It's like I write, you know, his head swells so much, he doesn't need any more crowns. But um, this coronation for this guy and, and, and what all year and, and the last game at Cameron where he just got thumped, uh, which I don't know, other than Dukies, uh, everyone enjoyed that. And that one, the other one was so long ago. I'd like to know Adam's answer on that. I, I think it is. I think his last game is 13th final four. And if he won, it would be the sixth national title. I think it would be. Now, again, I barely remember that game um, watching it. Um, I knew UNLV was really good, but – I, I I think it would be because because it's always in the moment, right? It's always like what's biggest. What's biggest is always in the moment. What Adam does, you know, on the gambling side of things, you know, you always what you always see the team that played best last, and that's how you make money because people vote on that or bet on that. I think I think there's a chance this would be viewed because it's so present that that would be bigger than beating UNLV. Also because it's Carolina. Yeah, and then that's what it comes back to, right? Yeah. It comes back to the Carolina thing. That's really yeah. ultimately when when you look at this for for Mike Krzyzewski, like this is the culmination, right? Dan Gavitt right. has to be sitting there right now, somewhere near you in New Orleans, in charge of the NCAA basketball tournament, and saying to himself, "I don't know what I did to get so lucky to get this, but this is the biggest game that we could have." Yeah, and the amazing thing is they've never played in the NCAA tournament. Which I guess I don't know if it's that amazing because they're usually both pretty high seeds and. You know, um, you know, see, so they're in different sides of the bracket, and I get, I get things like that. But I mean, two hundred and like, I think it's like the two hundred and fifty-eighth time they'll meet, and it's the first time ever in the NCAA tournament. I just think it goes back to like Adams that I think it goes back to the Carolina thing of why it's bigger than UNLV because of the rivalry, and this is where he's going to end. I mean, you know, if he wins, that's not where he ends. He's going to end. He's going to end against the winner on Monday night. And you know, they're both he and Wright. Or excuse me, both he and Hubert Davis are trying to downplay, saying we're not thinking about that. It's impossible not to think about that. Maybe they're not talking to their kids about it, but if you're around here just walking in, I mean, it's just Carolina Duke, Carolina Duke. It's like there's not another game on my on, on tomorrow. <laughs> uh, what? Well, hold on. What's funnier then for 
Duke losing? Is it losing to North Carolina and losing the rivalry game? Or is it beating your rival in a final four game and then losing to the one of the teams that everybody forgot about? I think it's funnier if he loses tomorrow. Just it goes back to Carolina and uh, the way Carolina smoked him at Cameron in his last home game. I think that's funnier. I mean, you know, if he loses to Kansas, you can say, okay, Kansas is just better. And they proved in the NCAA tournament, they boat raced everybody. So I, I actually think it's funnier if he actually loses to North Carolina. Funny. I don't know if Vegas fans will ever find anything about Mike Krzyzewski no. funny. No, yeah. and the hate and scorn for him, as I write for tomorrow, is uh, you can enter it now and just like sit back and watch the uh, carnage of how much they uh, dislike uh, Mike Krzyzewski. And I thought Ray Ratto had a good point the other day. Like, I, they take the Duke fans out of it. If you just take the Duke fans out of it because they're loving so much. Ratto made a good point in that he thinks a lot of the hatred for him comes around because he's still around. Because he still he still exists in college basketball. It's you know it's like it seems like forever. I mean, what is it? Four decades and more wins than anybody, and more in-state tournament wins. And people just get sick and tired of that. And it's not the reason the UNLV fans hate him, but the, you know it is the reason I think a lot of other people just want to see him lose because he's just been here forever. Um, so I thought the Rattle had a really good point on that, and and I know um, I know uh, we heard about that uh, early in the week. Why? What? What? What does Shashevsky need to do to have the Tom Brady turnaround where he became lovable in Tampa Bay? Like, what does Shashevsky need to do to have that turnaround from the people that perceive him? The people that hate him? Yeah, people hate him, but people oh, hated Tom Brady, think... and then he goes to Tampa, and all of a sudden, everybody loves him. I. I mean, he's seventy-five. I think he's past that. <laughs> I think he's like, isn't he mid-low 70s? I mean, Brady at least is only in his 40s. So being in your 70s, I think it's probably hard to, like, make the people who hate you like you. I mean, if this guy wins a sixth title, I mean, people are just going to be overjoyed that he's done, I think. But to have a Tom Brady turnaround, I don't think that'll ever happen. I mean, is there any way UNLV fans, no matter what, would ever, like, like the guy? He could never do anything for them to make him like him. Um, Does he need to be on a boat parade? Throwing the NCAA tournament, but yeah. I don't. Even, if he, I, I still think like let's say he just got hammered on a boat, and he was throwing the national championship trophy. I still think people hate him. Would say, oh, look at him, he's ruining the trophy. Look at him, he, you know, he's supposedly this, you know, patron of, uh, of of the kids and teaching the kids lessons, you know. So he got drunk. Whereas if Brady does it, it's absolutely funny. And people go, hey, he's a regular guy, he's a regular Joe. I just think that the people who don't like him, like, will never like him. Like, never. I've never heard a person. Like, he's one of those people, like, I've never heard few people who have, like, an indifferent thought about him. Like, well, I don't really care either way. Like, he's one of those guys where you either like him or you don't. And I don't think the people who don't like him would ever come back and say, well, I, I made a mistake. I kind of like him. And, you know, I like that he lost, so, you know, made him more human and stuff. Uh, what are you planning on eating today? And don't just tell me the media meal room. It will be that. I've had a, uh. Uh, I walked in and had a banana and a uh, uh, energy bar. Got to got to start off with some energy, and then I'll be here all day. So it'll be whatever they put out. I think they put out the box lunches. I think that, I think they'll they'll have the apple, the sandwich, the uh, small little cookie, and some water. Will, will it I cost totally as much? Mike, I, I don't want to be totally Mike Normala because I will put mayonnaise on it. <laughs> will it cost as much as your Super Bowl apple? Oh, it won't cost anything. It won't cost anything. It's free. <laughs> all right, yeah. he's Ed Grady live from the Final Four. Ed. We appreciate it. We'll catch up with you next week, too. See you, guys. Thanks a lot. Talk to you Monday.
So there's Ed Graney in New Orleans for the Final Four. Coming up next, Alex Smith. Well, he kind of ripped the Washington Commanders and Daniel Snyder earlier this week. Passes back to Giannis. Giannis has it. He's going to launch up the three for the tie, and he hits it. There's a new scoring king in the cream city. His name is Giannis. All hail the Greek freak. Are you kidding me? It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas featuring Adam Candy. Alex Smith was on the Rich Eisen Show earlier this week. And he was uh, asked about giving advice to Carson Wentz. And Alex Smith started to give advice and sort of gave an interesting look into what it was like being a quarterback for the Washington Commanders. What words of advice, Alex Smith, would you have for Carson Wentz going to Washington now? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, that's tough. You know, I, I mean, I think you got to try to eliminate the noise there. You know, there's a lot of noise. Um, there's a lot of distractions. That entire organization, um, everything surrounding it, um, and 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 yeah, obviously deservedly, it's it's been flawed the last 20 years. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on there. A lot of distractions, and it's, it makes it difficult to kind of focus in on on the football. Um, but I think so. There's Alex Smith. And the first thing when asked about giving advice to Carson Wentz has nothing to do with actual football, but about noise and distractions and two decades worth of flaws and how it's difficult to play football. Rich Eisen then followed up because, whoa, we got a former quarterback here saying this was a problem. And here's what Alex Smith had to say. So I, I'm mandated to follow up on this, Alex. I mean, so you're saying whatever was going on in the front office was affecting your ability to 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 play football and focus uh, on. Yeah, I mean, how could it not? How could it not? I mean, for me, like, yeah, I mean, all the stuff there uh, with, with, you know, just the entire organization from ownership down head coaching and, and GM, it's just, it's, a, it's a lot of, there, you know, there's been historically a lot of drama there and, you know, it's a big market, uh, you know, obviously the capital and, and a lot going on. And that organization is a really storied franchise and, and uh, I just, yeah, there's a lot of turmoil and a lot of distractions. So, so to say that the stuff going on in the building doesn't infiltrate the locker room or out on the field, it would be crazy. That happens everywhere. I think that's what great organizations eliminate. Um, and the bad ones have a hard time with that. All that, all that noise creeps into the building. So is Alex Smith simply like, that came off to me as this is like a nice guy or he's trying to be as nice as possible but also making it very clear, yeah, Dan Snyder's ruined his own football team. Like, this is more than just Dan Snyder ruining the business side or the reputation side. Like, this, Dan Snyder's ruined his actual team on the field. Did you count the seconds there? It was almost a full 10 seconds before Alex Smith could gather himself <laughs> to come up with an answer to that question. It was amazing. And th think about it. This is the franchise that helped Alex Smith come back from the most horrific injury we've ever seen on a football field, maybe, likely. Like, Alex Smith nearly lost his leg and came back to play in Washington and still had to really struggle to find something positive to say about the organization. It's mind-bending. It's so, okay, it's incredible because 
you have a guy that played quarterback there for multiple years. And like you said, come comes back from what's a horrific injury. And when asked about, hey, what advice would you give to the guy that's about to be the quarterback of that franchise? He can't help himself. And like you said, there's 10 seconds of him gathering himself, which I almost have to imagine. Alex Smith was thinking, can I say anything? Else? Is there anything I can actually say to answer this question? And he, he couldn't come up with it because that's how scarring his time in Washington was. That's how horrible it is to look back on and say, wow, we didn't have a chance to win because of what was going on with Daniel Snyder. What was going on with the Washington football team, the Washington commanders now? Like, it's unbelievable that you have a quarterback that's a few years removed, and that's that's what he thinks of. Like, when you ask him, hey, what do you think about your time in Washington? This is it. This is the number one thing that Alex Smith thinks about when he remembers back to what he did in Washington, which is incredible to think about because you'd think there'd be some different advice besides, hey, just ignore that lunatic of an owner and you might be okay. Because the answer I expected, Tyler, from Alex Smith, something along the lines of, hey, you know, a lot of great people in that organization who helped me you know, come back from the injury. I appreciate them. Uh, you know, there, there are some challenges there uh, off the field, but, you know, you just got to, do your job and, and focus in like that you expect but alex smith uh, being a former player is in a spot to be like now nah, let me tell you a little bit about what's going on over there and they tried to walk it back at the end by saying well you know it happens everywhere but good organizations keep that from getting to the field so yeah it, it's from dan snyder on down and he of course you know was there uh in, in part before ron rivera took over so you know that wasn't uh wasn't entirely under the, the leadership of a guy who has brought at least some stability to that franchise. But Tyler, I, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, like, like think about the, uh, the coaches that this organization could have had over time if they weren't a train wreck, right? Like think about the, the leadership they could have that Alex Smith could have pointed to in this situation and said, Hey, well, Carson Wentz is, is lucky to be going to you know work with such great people but i guess uh, if sean mcveigh or kyle shanahan were there then they wouldn't have traded for carson wentz that was um probably like washington football fans probably got it the worst when they showed that picture of all the former nfl coaches that were on the washington staff at one point and like all of them are successful in the nfl like they they got unnecessarily sideswiped the fans did not the organization but the fans did during the playoffs and the super bowl when we get this picture of hey Look at all the coaches you could have had at your organization, and you don't have any of them. Yeah, it's kind of like being a Yankees fan in the 80s and seeing all the prospects George Steinbrenner traded away and being like, you could have put together an all-star team from this. Did you see Ron Rivera say that um, somebody asked him about the just the bad news or the bad headlines, and he said, quite honestly, I'm tired of it? I don't know how you top that. Ron Rivera is one of the most respected guys in the entire NFL. Like, does he feel bulletproof against Snyder? <laughs> oh, what a great organization. How is Dan, how, Dan Snyder still in the league? It's incredible. Okay. Be, uh, yeah, be, yeah. His yeah wife well, because, yeah. because the other owners might not necessarily be that much better people. Oh, man. They got some emails?